and welcome back, everybody, to the Hangout in the Holy Land, the official podcast of LandGrantHolyLand.com. It's a website. It's about Ohio State sports. We think it's pretty okay. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll workshop that tagline. We'll see, we'll see if we can come up with something better a little bit later. You can, of course, follow the website at LandGrantHolyLand.com. We are on Twitter at LandGrant33. Just past the 20,000 Twitter follower uh, benchmark here a couple of days ago. So that, that that's pretty big news. We're on Facebook. We're on every other social media platform. I am your host, Matt Brown, managing editor of the site, college league manager for the mothership here at SB Nation. We are recording the show here on Monday afternoon, September 19th. You'll probably be able to listen to this on Tuesday. Normally, we'd all be listening to the Urban Meyer press conference right now. But since it's a bye week, there isn't one, which leaves us plenty more time time to talk about other things. Colton, is there anything we should be talking about? Anything important happened in Ohio State land recently? Oh, you know, they went on the road to Oklahoma Sooners, who've only lost eight times in the last 17 years in Norman, and uh, they beat them by 21 points with 16 new starters. So I think that's pretty much the only thing we have to talk about today. I did not think Ohio State was going to win that game. And I, I did a bunch of radio hits, uh, some in Texas, some in Oklahoma, some in Ohio. And I was saying, yeah, I, I thought Oklahoma was going was gonna to win a close one here. And boy, howdy, was I wrong. Ohio, I mean, like, I don't even think this was this was as close as the scoreboard indicated, especially because, you know, Joe Mixon's touchdown in the beginning of the game shouldn't have counted. This was a thorough butt whooping. Yeah, and, you know, this game reminded me a lot of when they played Michigan State on the road a couple of seasons ago. And even then, I think Michigan State, for most of that game, played it a little closer than Oklahoma. But just from the get-go, and we'll get into some of the stuff offensively and defensively and whatnot, but... You know, with all due respect to Oklahoma, who I think is still a very good team with two unfortunate losses to two good teams in Ohio State and Houston, Oklahoma just looked like they weren't in the same league as Ohio State from a speed perspective on offense and defense on the lines. Ohio State pretty much got whatever they wanted to on the ground and on the defensive line. Those guys dominated, even though OU had a couple of big run plays. It was really an impressive performance. And for such a young team, this early into the season, uh, I know we shouldn't be shocked at what this coaching staff is able to do with this kind of talent. But e- even still, they go on the road to Oklahoma and they win by 21 points. It's pretty incredible. Yeah. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the specifics here of this game. There, there's, there's a ton of individual takeaways I think we can tease out of here. But the single biggest thing that jumped out to me besides the gigantic well not maybe not gigantic but really quite telling disparity in terms of talent it was i think very apparent ohio state was faster than oklahoma at nearly every position group they had better players except that maybe at running back and that really might be it just the 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 depth there that was on display you could see the difference between recruiting at a top three level and recruiting at a top 15 20 level but the other really big thing that surprised me in this game was ohio state's ability to run the football oklahoma came in here yes i mean you know they they, they played houston and houston's very good and and they played louisiana monroe who is probably not but the, the one thing that statistically jumped out about Oklahoma's profile was that this was a very good team at stopping the run, especially within the interior of their defensive line. They were, Even when they lost to Houston, they did a very good job of putting the Cougars into, uh, off schedule and putting them into obvious passing down situations. The Cougars were, of course, able to really take advantage of that. But I didn't think Ohio State was going to be able to run the ball super effectively, especially after they kind of struggled a little bit in the first half of the Tulsa game. And that was not the case at all. Ohio State rushes for over six 
yards a carry. They rush for nearly 300 yards total. Mike Weber go 18 for 123. Curtis Samuel 11 for 98. Both of them bust out gains for longer than 30. And uh, th- th- this was completely not how I expected this game to go. Urban Meyer, Urban Meyer was talking earlier this season about how they, they preach balance. This was not a balanced offensive effort. Ohio State just sat down there and ran the ball down Oklahoma's throat. And they put themselves in a position where they could take advantage of individual one-on-one passing attempts. But it was very much a run to set up the pass situation. And the Sooners were completely powerless to stop it. I did not see that coming. Yeah, and I, I guess I'm not completely surprised they were able to run the ball, but I think just for the efficiency that they showed and, and the explosiveness as well, that was the most shocking thing. And you look at young running backs, whether they're redshirt freshmen or freshmen, one of their biggest problems in what we've seen with the advanced stats is is opportunity rate. They're not as quick as older backs to, to see holes. They're not as patient. Mike Weber was so extremely quick and decisive with his with every one of his cuts last night or on Saturday and whether they ran him outside or inside he was able to just kind of bust through and we know that he's a a bigger power guy but there were times where I think on that 35 yard gain where he was out running Oklahoma cornerbacks and safeties down the side of the field so when you're able to have that sort of inside running game with not only him but also JT Barrett had 17 carries for 74 yards and it seemed like whenever they ran him that he was getting at least four or five yards and Oklahoma pretty much had no answer to stop them and you add that in with Curtis Samuel on the outside I mean on that first touchdown run how many other backs in college football get stopped there behind the line he makes one quick cut goes to the outside like it's a goddamn video game like he's not even seeing the hole he just runs to the outside and outruns every single Oklahoma player for 40 yards for a touchdown down the field and it showcases their power it showcases their speed and right Right now, offensively, at least from a running game standpoint, they have everything you could want. And then you couple that with the offensive line playing as good as they did. And I think the run game is pretty much right where it left off last year. It's it's extremely impressive. I, I have Ohio State's advanced statistical profile up in front of me. Uh, friends, if you are not reading footballstudyhall.com, part of the SB Nation family, you should. Get a little bit smarter about about college football because the regular box score is bad. But looking here at Ohio State's rushing profile, second in the country, rushing success rate, 64% of the time. Third in the country, opportunity rate. Tenth in the country, power success. Fourth in the country, and stuff rate. So this shows here, and this has been the case for Carlos Hyde. It's been the case for Ezekiel Elliott. It's very, very rare you stop an Ohio State running back in the backfield. It's very rare you see a negative rushing play. That lets the Buckeyes continue to stay on schedule. And even if they're not busting a ton of 30, you know, 25, 30-yard rushes, although they did against Oklahoma, if you're able to get five and a half yards to carry, it almost doesn't matter what else you do on offense. And that really shows once you get into the second half of these games when defenses start to get a little bit tired and the Buckeyes can just grind people up. They're, they're you know... Maybe Ohio State isn't a perfect pocket-passing offense yet. That's to be expected given the youth of both the offensive line and some of these wideouts. But given what else they're doing right now, it just doesn't matter. And there's not a ton of – there's some good defenses coming up here, but not not as many that are going to be peers to Oklahoma, I think. 
Well, and to your point about looking at a regular box score, you look at what JT Barrett did, 14 of 20 passing for 152 yards and just discounting the four touchdowns. You know, you look at that and you think, okay, that's that's a decent enough day. They, they rushed the ball extremely well. Why would you sling the ball around? But just even in going back and watching, that was probably the most comfortable JT Barrett's looked, I think, in probably about two years since that 2014 season. He is doing such a good job in the pocket right now, not bailing. He's going through his reads. He's making the right reads. I think the offensive line deserves a ton of credit, not only for what they did in run blocking, but but also pass blocking. We talked about some of their outside rush edgers last week. They basically weren't a factor at all. And through three games, JT Barrett's averaging 8.9 yards per attempt, 6.7 last season so he is markedly improving already got 10 touchdown passes 11 all of last season so I think this passing game doesn't need to be one that goes for 350 yards a game they just need to be able to have that extra constraint for when the running game is working and if the running game gets stopped I have a lot more confidence now that the passing game is going to be able to step up and do its thing. And, you know, Noah Brown was the beneficiary, but we also saw guys like James Clark make a couple of receptions. Dontre Wilson got involved. Paris Campbell had one catch for 16 yards. Terry McLaurin had one catch. It seems like they're really able to get people involved a lot more so than they were last year. I'm looking right now, 12 different Buckeyes have caught a pass this season, which is crazy. And it looks like five of them have at least 50 yards receiving. Five have at least a touchdown catch. Uh, they're, they're, yeah, the ability to spread the ball around is is very strong. I don't think you're, you're not going to see that many players get involved in the passing game as we move a little bit deeper into the Big Ten schedule, especially I think in a you know three or four weeks once the the, the gimme games are, are mostly in the past. But there's a ton of playmakers, and you know you, what, what, beyond what we saw with Noah Brown in, in the in the red zone, Curtis Samuel on the outside, there's a bunch. Of options and that while it's not perfect it you know may never get there it definitely does not have to be two two things that i have in my notes that i really wanted to bring up how about on that third and one i think when it was 21 to 10 and, and they were just driving in they have third and one inside the five they had just gone with the empty set and they had run barrett up the middle and they come back with another empty set and what we've seen with this team especially with jt barrett as quarterback whenever they go empty near the goal line it's a run up the middle with Barrett, wherever that tight end is going. They drop back. They throw a fade to Noah Brown. And, you know, we can debate all we want about the merits of the fade inside the goal line and how efficient that is. But to me, that showed at least a willingness for the staff to show a little bit of a wrinkle because we always do see that quarterback draw. And they come out and they throw a fade to Noah Brown, who makes an excellent play. Barrett makes a hell of a pass. And I think it just goes to show how much this offense has evolved and to that point I don't really think it's a hot take to say that this offense can be and probably will be if people stay healthy and and they go at the rate they are they'll be much better than they were last season because to me it feels like and this is something we're, we're talking about with how many people are getting involved last year it just felt like they had so much star power that at times it was like well you know we obviously have to give the ball to Ezekiel Elliott but we have to give the ball to Braxton Miller, too. And wait, Michael Thomas is on the outside. He needs the ball as well. And Jalen Marshall needs the ball. And Dontre Wilson needs the ball. And it just seemed like they were kind of forcing things. While this year they have guys that can do that, they're just giving the ball to their playmakers and letting them do their thing. So I think the offense is flowing much smoother from that standpoint. The star power might not be there, but overall, I think this offense has a chance to be much
much better than last season's star-studded unit, which is kind of shocking. You you would not expect that, really, just in, in general. I think everyone, including ourselves, was expecting more of a step back just because, you know, <laughs> you, 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 you sent a gajillion people to the NFL draft. You're starting a bunch of underclassmen. There hasn't been much of a drop-off really at all. We've talked all this time here about the offense. The defense has been simply outstanding, especially in the secondary. You have to tip your hat here to Greg Schiano and say what you will about Schiano as a head coach or maybe Schiano the person. But Schiano, the, uh, the secondary coach, is quite clearly very good at his job. And they've taken a, a young unit, one that's very talented, but a young unit, and turned them, helps turn them into absolute ball hawks. They're tackling very well. And even though Oklahoma was able to get their yards, which you're going to do because they're an excellent offensive team, they've given up two, what is it, two offensive touchdowns this season against three really good offenses or two really good offenses and Bowling Green, who clearly is not as good as they were last year. That's outstanding. And they could get even better. Yeah, and I think the the one thing looking at the secondaries or in the secondary is that in the last couple of seasons we've seen guys like Von Bell, Tyvis Powell, Eli Apple, and these are all players that are in the NFL right now. Durant Grant making plays on the outside, Bradley Roby, and I can't remember them, especially on the outside, playing to the ball like they are in particular. Gary on Conley made a couple of really nice plays before he went out. He made, I think it was either a second or third goal play on one of OU's first drives where he he made a nice little uh, comeback on the ball and knocked it away and forced OU to, to kick that field goal, which they then miss. And then Marshawn Lattimore, I don't know how much more praise he uh, he can get, but he deserves it all after coming back this season healthy. He had probably should have had two interceptions, but the first one was such a nice play on the ball. He comes back, he baits Baker Mayfield into throwing that deep pass and makes a very good play. But to your point, those two guys, and then you add in Malik Hooker with what they're doing with him. They're bringing him on blitzes. They're bringing him down in the run game at times. They're just, they're so fast and they're so aggressive. And it's such a cliche, but this is a group that plays violent, whether they're hitting, going after the ball, whatever it may be, they're much more aggressive than I think they've been in the past. So it's nice to see that from the back end. Yeah, Hooker right now tied for the team lead in tackles with 14. Uh, has a one and a half tackles for loss. Has half a sack, three picks, two passes broken up. That's outrageous for for a safety. He's been he's been all over the place. Uh, Damon Webb is near the top of the the team right now in tackles. You the, the Buckeyes are a top 10 team in the country in defensive back havoc rate. So they're getting guys who are getting into the backfield. They're causing pressures being creative and very aggressive with that unit, which which is excellent. There's not a ton of really dynamic passing teams left on this schedule. There's a, there's a, there's a couple. You know, Indiana is going to be able to sling the ball around a little bit, but they have simply performed as well as could possibly be expected, which then means, I think, at this point, we may need to evaluate what we've been expecting. At this point, give you know the Buckeyes are number two in the polls. They're undefeated in their out-of-conference schedule. The Big Ten itself as a conference is looking, I think, stronger than we had anticipated. But forget what we had our expectations were before the season. If Ohio State doesn't make the playoff this year, is this year now a disappointment? I think it kind of depends how the rest of the year goes because you, you never know what can happen with injuries. And now the schedule we'll get into later. Michigan State, they look... Like, like a threat, Mark D'Antonio, hot take, is, is a pretty good football coach. And then Michigan, too, looking at their schedule, it's really hard to see more than one loss, even if that, before they play Ohio State, except for the game against Michigan State. So, yeah, I, 
I think it's fair to say that it can be at least somewhat of a disappointment if this team doesn't at least make the Big Ten championship game. I, I don't think that that's unreasonable given the talent and now seeing what they did. You know, I, I've seen a lot of people talk about, well, OU may, may just not be that good. And hell, OU may go on to be 8-5 and five this year and just not be that team they were last year. But regardless, to go into Norman and play like they did, not many teams can do that regardless of how good Oklahoma is in that environment. So I think that it's probably good that the bye week is coming now because it gives the staff time to reset expectations. But, you know, from some of the units that you and I had concerns about, and you brought up the, the defensive line against the run, what they did against Samaj P. Ryan in particular with that whole new rotation, 17 carries for 60 yards with one of those carries going for 20. He had a 29% success rate. I don't know when the last time he did that was maybe against Clemson in the bowl game, but you're not going to have that happen very often. So I think even the, the perceived weaknesses of this team are now looking like big time strengths. So I think to expect at least a Big Ten championship game appearance is very reasonable. I... You know, just because of the way I think Ohio State's schedule is set up with the with the Big Ten East being so much tougher than, than the West and the way things are structured, it's not. it would not shock me if we have another situation where the Buckeyes go 11-1 and and lose, you know, to one of the Michigans. And because of the way things kind of end up, you know, that means that they, they, they lose the tiebreaker and they miss the Big Ten championship game and they go play in the Rose Bowl and, like, destroy Washington or something. That That's possible. I would still look at that, I think, as being a successful season. I mean, I mean, it seems crazy to say, yeah, I think an eleven and one year in a Rose Bowl bid sounds pretty good, which is which is you know what I was hoping for Ohio State before this season. You know, go ten and two, make the Rose Bowl, and 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 do well. But definitely, I think it is appropriate to adjust whatever you thought this team was in August and, and, and tick it up a little bit. Injuries can can play a big role. Uh, Gary Connolly, of course, missed most of the Oklahoma game. Uh, the, the reporting now, as of this recording, was that Urban Meyer uh, held him out as a precaution, did not expect this to be super serious. He has a week to get healthy. They probably don't need him to really beat Rutgers. So if he has to take another week off, that's fine. But they are expecting him to play later this season. But there are position groups here, maybe defensive back, maybe defensive tackle, certainly along the offensive line, where if there are injuries, that's going to really hurt Ohio State since they're not they're not quite as deep uh, as they might be next season. But, you know, you're the, you're the second best team in the country right now. There's a, You're not going to face a really stiff test for a couple more weeks. I think the Buckeyes are in an awfully good place right now. We're getting way ahead of ourselves with the playoff talk, but to your point about maybe you know, Ohio State being 11 and one or Michigan State being 11 and one or Michigan being 11 and one with another one of those teams making the Big Ten championship game and then with a likely spot in the playoff after winning it. This season's kind of shaking out to where maybe it's not the Big Ten, but another conference. You see two teams from the same league get in, and that's something we talked about with either Alabama and LSU to start the season off or Clemson and Florida State to start it off. And Florida State, at least right now, doesn't look like they're that team. Even Clemson right now doesn't look like they're that team for the most part. LSU certainly doesn't. So if one of those teams, Ohio State, Michigan State, or Michigan, has that one loss to it to the team that wins the Big Ten, it may shake out that that fourth spot with the Big 12 seemingly not having anybody worthy enough to get in is open. So who knows? But I think that it's going to be a fun race in the uh, in the Big Ten East as we get going here throughout the season. It's funny you mentioned that. You're right. We talked to, I know, I know you and I have talked, I can't remember 
remember if it was on the podcast specifically or, or just in, in Slack chats or anything. And we've talked about it here in the office about for the season. Sure seemed like this might have been a good candidate year for two teams in the same conference to make the playoff. And here Florida State and Clemson was the popular pick. Certainly could be Clemson and Louisville this year. I don't know if there's a, a second team in the SEC that's really kind of stepped up and, and inserted themselves in that conversation. Like, I don't know, maybe Texas A&M, maybe? Like, you know, the whole SEC East doesn't seem very good. But to the extent that it is possible to eliminate a conference from the playoff conversation in September, which, as our old friend Clay Travis demonstrated, is often a fool's errand, to the extent that's possible, it sure seems like the Big 12 has done that. Which which uh, which helps that conversation, and uh, you know, once the Pac-12 league play really gets started in earnest, and those teams kind of beat each other up a little bit, like we're expecting, we might have to revisit that idea in a little bit more detail. Because if you know, if you're drawing up a scenario where that might happen, or for a, a, a non-power team to make the playoff, like you know, Houston has established themselves to be, that's how that's how it starts. Yeah, and I think we can we can kind of wrap up here on the Oklahoma game and move on to to everything else that happened. But two final things I want to talk about on the defensive line. I, I'm far enough removed from high school that I don't know if this this is still how it works. But like when you were in high school for either like prom or homecoming or like we had winter ball, did they have chaperones? Yes, yes they did. And boy howdy, let me tell you something. So did Mormon church dances. Well. In the dance of Ohio State, Oklahoma, it sure felt like Jalen Holmes was Baker Mayfield's chaperone through that whole game. Like, no matter where Baker Mayfield went, Jalen Holmes was like, oh, let me escort you here to the sideline. Let me drive you into the ground here real quick. Oh, you want to make this pass on fourth and three? I'll bat it up so Jerome Baker can pick it off and take it to the end zone. Of all the guys that played well on the defensive line, I think that was Jalen Holmes' kind of coming out party in Wherever Baker Mayfield went on Saturday, he was right there. And I think Taekwon Lewis and Sam Hubbard kind of received most of the attention in the offseason and in the early portion of the season, which was well-deserved given how they played last year. But Jalen Holmes might end up being the best player on that defensive line going forward through the season. And then secondly, from a special teams perspective, Cam Johnston was excellent. That first three and out the offense had could have put the defense in a really bad spot. And he blasts a 67-yard punt that completely flips the field position and makes Oklahoma start on their own 10. We've seen Ohio State in the last four years completely dominate teams when it comes to field position. And they're doing the same thing this year against Oklahoma plus eight. 18.4 or 18.4 field position margin and you're going to win pretty much every single game if you do that so special teams and cam johnston can continue to be an unsung hero for this team you know in, in my life experience chaperones were uh, there to make sure that you left enough room for the holy spirit uh it seems that ohio state's defensive line was allowing that but really not much room for anything else um also, uh, in breaking news, breaking news, uh, Cameron Johnston was named the Ray Guy punter of the week because he's outstanding. You can only imagine how happy Jim Trestle was watching that game that Cam Johnston's just out there kicking boomers. And when you watch him punt, he's not even, it doesn't even seem like he's really getting into it. It's like a half swing and he's just blasting it downfield. So special teams other than kind of the breakdown on the Joe Mixon kick return have continued to be pretty awesome. All right. 
I feel like we've we've successfully pulverized this dead horse into some delicious Alpo that we can then uh, sell to our Midwestern brethren here. Uh, what else, real quickly, nationally, since this is Ohio State's bye week, what what has what has really surprised you this season so far? I think maybe the overall lack of depth of good teams the SEC has. I know that there were a lot of good players that either graduated, there were some quarterbacks that left, but this year it really does feel like it's pretty much Alabama or bust. I'm kind of on the Texas A&M bandwagon just based off of that defensive line and and what they're able to do. If, if they simplify things for Trevor Knight, I, I think that offense now can run the ball a little bit. They, they looked fine against Auburn, but outside of Alabama, Ole Miss just seems too inconsistent. They didn't have that game in the bag, but they probably should have beaten Alabama on Saturday, so I was a little disappointed to to see them have another second half stumble like they did against Florida State. But, you know, you look at LSU and they they dominated Mississippi State for most of that game and they almost lost. And I, I just I look at that team and the talent they have and it's a hot take, but through what, three, four weeks at, at this point in two thousand sixteen I think that Les Miles is an above average head coach. Maybe he'd be better somewhere else, but with the type of talent they have, there's just no reason for that team to struggle as much as they do. So that would be my biggest takeaway is that just the SEC doesn't look as strong as it has in the past. Yeah, I I, I try to, sway, to shy away from really sweeping conference proclamations because I feel like that ventures into some of the, the dumber Twitter hot take territory. But it's, it's hard not to draw... A, a similar conclusion when looking at some of these teams. Ole Miss cannot run the football to save its life. And that's a problem and I think that speaks a huge reason why they fall apart here in the second half because you're still having to rely on those, that same downfield passing attack that is uh, a high ma- matter of risk and you can't sit on a lead if you can't run for more than two and a half yards a carry. And that's why they've, they've just gotten clobbered in the second half against the, these two good teams and things get worse for them. LSU was loaded everywhere and I really expected Brandon Harris to make a little bit of a step forward. Urban Meyer wanted him badly, which is enough to make me think that uh, he's not a terrible quarterback. But LSU has done a really bad job of developing those. And now two of the better teams in the SEC are forced to rely on the old cradle of quarterbacks. Uh, Purdue transfers to try and lead them to, uh, to to victory here, and that is generally. Even though I think I think both Etling and Appleby were like four star recruits once upon a time, I don't know if they got all the Purdue out of their system yet. I feel so bad because last week on the podcast I brought we talked about the Purdue thing, and I was like, well, if Luke Del Rio, hopefully for Florida's sake, doesn't get hurt, or if he does get hurt, then they're going to have to play Austin Appleby. And what do you know? They're going to have to do that. So. LSU Florida I think is coming up in a few weeks so uh, battle of the Purdue quarterbacks and it looks like right now ESPNU just tweeted out that for Tennessee who's also looked disappointing that Cam Sutton their stud defensive player he's fractured his ankle and Tennessee has a ton of guys out right now as well so that Florida Tennessee game might be really 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 ugly that is the game day game I believe this week and I'm not going to watch it um 
the I, I typically go and cover games in press boxes a couple of times a year. I am spending Saturday and will be missing most of the live football uh, because I am covering the BYU-West Virginia game. And a big reason for that is because they're playing it like four miles away from my house. It's going to be at FedEx Field in scenic Prince George County, Maryland. So if the Mormons are playing like in my county, I feel like I have an obligation to go and, and be a serious professional journalist. So that's where I'll be. And I'll, I'll miss that. I'm not as enticed really about week four slate in general, but we threw a bunch of shade on week two and that ended up being sneaky fun. Well, and do you have any other big takeaways from this past week? I, kn- I know it wasn't as great as we, we thought it was, but the Big Ten, it seemed to be a, a fairly decent day. Uh, there seems to be some takes, whether good or bad, about Michigan. They they looked fine. I, I think I was pretty stoked about how Colorado looked in that game, especially going through the third quarter. But Michigan pulled away at the end. They took care of business. Jabril Peppers continues to do every single thing that they ask of him and do it at an, an elite level. And I think their quarterback situation with Wilton Spate, I'm – a little shocked he hasn't looked better so if there's one thing about Michigan that I think is exploitable it's definitely the quarterback play but for the most part they looked fine we talked about Michigan State they dominated Notre Dame in that game so I think again it's it's a three-team race in the Big Ten yeah I'm with you the one other last quick takeaway that I'll add and then we can wrap this up about Michigan, the the single most dominating thing that I've seen about them since this year started is how good they are on special teams. Kicking in general against Michigan, whether you are kicking a field goal or a punt or anything else, seems to be extremely ill-advised. They're blocking a gajillion kicks. I think that single-handedly turned the Colorado game away from them because Colorado was not able to punt or do do anything. Uh, If you were playing them, like, say, Penn State, I would get creative on fourth down and try to (laughs) avoid situations where you're kicking at all because I don't think anybody else is better at doing that than Michigan is. And that's just a huge way to flip the field and give yourself a dramatic advantage uh so 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 kudos, kudos to them you know i i don't know if i am completely in love with their offense but we'll see we'll, we'll get a better idea about who they are in a couple of weeks after start to play some teams that are um you know not in the bottom 15 percent of their respective conferences and interesting that they struggled so much in the secondary colorado was really able to dial up the deep ball and and have some success there and that's something to watch for whether you're michigan state or or Ohio State is if that run game is working kind of like it did against Oklahoma, they are going to have to be on the lookout to to being get beaten deep, and that's where Ohio State, to a lesser extent, had success last year against them with some of the big plays Michael Thomas and Jalen Marshall made. But I don't think that defense, at least through four weeks, looks as good as maybe we thought it would be. But a lot of season left. A lot, lot of season left. So we'll, I think we'll go ahead and wrap it up here on that. Uh, we've got a couple of, of good stories down the pipeline here, some other statistical analysis of what happened with Ohio State and, and where the Buckeyes are moving forward. Uh, I think we're going to talk a little bit more about recruiting. That was something we didn't even get a chance to talk about here. Ohio State demonstrated their significant talent advantage and dunked on Oklahoma on their biggest recruiting weekend of the year, including in front of a couple of guys like Jeffrey Okuda uh, that are considering both the Sooners and the Buckeyes. I think uh, Marvin Wilson, the I believe the best defensive tackle in the country, may have changed his mind a little bit about Ohio State too. Uh, the Buckeyes aren't really in on, on Wilson yet, but maybe after that dunk fest, things could potentially change. A lot of time left both in this recruiting calendar and with this football season. Thank you so much, 
here for listening. You, of course, can follow uh, previous find previous shows or follow the show here on LandGrantHoyland.com. You can find us on iTunes. Uh, if you if you are, please leave feedback. Prefer, preferably good feedback. That help that helps the show. But bad feedback's okay too. If we suck at something, we want to get better at it. Uh, you can also find us on SoundCloud and uh, a bunch of other devices where you might typically download podcasts. In the meantime, this I, you know this 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 has been an excellent week. Bask in the glory of this victory. You don't play for Ohio State. You don't have to take things one week at a time. Uh, feel free to brag on the internet and on our website. In the meantime, I'm Matt. That's Colton. Thanks for listening, and go Bucks.